Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. Two, actually last summer I received a phone call from a gentleman. He was very upset. He was very distraught. He found us on Google and he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm searching. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm literally, I'm tired. And there's been a lot of things that have happened in my life. How do I know for sure that Jesus thing, this whole thing is real? And so I started to talk to him about the gospel and I said, why don't you come and visit us at church on Sunday? This was on a Friday. So we came out that Sunday and his name was Isa. And so we had this conversation and, uh, you know, he was there for the message. And I said, why don't we go grab some lunch? And so he hopped in the car with my family because um, he, he had to get a ride there. He didn't have a car. And on the way to lunch, I started sharing the gospel with him and he had been searching and so he uh, prayed to receive Christ and made a profession of faith. And so we started meeting and we had a couple of different meetings, um, but then he stopped texting me. And you know how it is. When somebody ghosts you, you know something's up. And so I just kept texting him. I didn't want to be completely annoying to him. Uh, but eventually he texted me back. And he said, you know, and, and, and again, put it in context here, he grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. And he said, Pastor Brandon, I'm having a really hard time accepting the fact that Jesus is both the Son of God and God himself. And I said, I, I understand. That's confusing. That I, I completely understand. To be honest with you, I don't fully understand the Trinity, and nobody will until they go to heaven, how that exactly works. But we accept that by faith. I can help you. And I never heard back from him. And so my mind started thinking through this whole thing, and this whole question of the deity of Jesus has been one that has plagued society for many, many, many years. I got it. It's hard to comprehend Jesus being God. The Trinity in and of itself is something that no one will be able to fully comprehend until we get to heaven. Uh, but, that, but that's just the thing. There are things regarding Christianity, there are things regarding God that we will not fully comprehend until we get to heaven. We talked about that in this series. If we understood everything that God did and how he does those things, then God would no longer be God. We would be on the same level with God, being able to understand everything that he does. And so we understand that the Trinity, it's three, uh, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and one as God, but how that fully functions and works, we will not fully have a grasp of that on this side of eternity. If you're joining with us for the first time this week, we're in the midst of a series entitled, I Have a Question. And the whole purpose of this series is to focus on tough questions regarding God, Christianity, and the Bible. And I firmly believe that we live in a society today amongst my age group. And, you know, uh, I've been in churches in the past and used the word millennial, and it's almost like a Christian curse word. Oh, my goodness, the millennials. But, but we like to question things. And that, I'm the same way. Like, I like to question things. How do we know? Why should I accept this as being fact? And so we're in the middle of this series. I have a question talking about the big things of Christianity. And the whole purpose of this is to determine whether or not God is real and whether or not Christianity is reliable. And so we're here this morning. We find ourselves on this subject of the deity of Christ. Years ago, broadcaster Larry King was asked one question. He said, if you could interview any person in the world, who would it be? Without hesitation, Larry King said, Jesus Christ. And then the question follow-up uh, with that was, if you could ask him one question, only one question, what would it be and why? And Larry King responded back immediately, I would ask Jesus Christ, were you really born of a virgin? Because if you were, then that changes everything. And so people wrestle with this thought over and over again, whether Jesus 
is, is God or not is, is a question that many people are trying to figure out. There are many different philosophies and religions that have different views of this. When it comes to Buddhism, they believe that Jesus was not a God or was not God, but an enlightened man like Buddha. Hinduism, they believe that Jesus Christ was, the, uh, it was an incarnate God like Krishna. Islam, Jesus was a man and a prophet, but inferior to Muhammad. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus was the archangel Michael that became man. Mormonism, they believe that Jesus was a man that became one of many gods. He was a polygamist and the half-brother of Lucifer. And then you've got this new age thinking that believes that Jesus Christ is a state of consciousness that we can all aspire to. And so many people have many different thoughts, but none of these portraits of Jesus held by these different belief systems have any basis in history or fact. What they're trying to do is take this Jesus, whom they can't disprove, because pretty much everybody will acknowledge the fact that there was a Jesus. They're trying to take who he was and fit it within the framework of their religion in order to make it work. When determining the major difference between all the religions, there is one question that you can ask, and that is this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? You ask any representative of any type of religion, you'll find out where they stand on that question. But the question of who Jesus is is of the utmost importance. Someone once, once told me, they said, I have a friend who is a, uh, who has professed Christianity. They've, 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 they know that they cannot get to heaven because of their sins. They know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. They know and they, and they believe all that. They've accepted that, so they profess to be a Christian. But they do not believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that Jesus is God. Is it possible for a person to be a Christian but not believe that Jesus Christ is the God? If you were to have a discussion regarding the Trinity with someone, majority of people are okay with the talks about God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Most people are okay with that. But the moment you start talking about Jesus Christ in light of who he actually is, that's when they shut down the conversation. Why? Because Satan knows that Jesus Christ is the key to restore relationship with God and eternity in heaven. If Satan can get someone to doubt the deity of Jesus or even the existence, then he has removed that key to heaven. Matter of fact, the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 6, this is Jesus Christ speaking. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It seems like a pretty bold claim from a seemingly ordinary man. And if there was ever a time in history in which this confusion or this division of this issue of whether Jesus Christ was God or not, it was the time in which Jesus Christ actually walked on the earth. And so with that being said, if you could take your Bibles with me to John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10, we're going to look at an interesting passage. Interesting passage in which occurs here with Jesus Christ. As we see in the beginning part of John chapter 10, or really in verse 22, Jesus is entering Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was the outside portico that surrounded the temple. We all understand the temple was the main worship ground of the, of the, uh, of the Old Testament. And so this portico is oftentimes where believers would gather together. They would fellowship after their worship. Jesus Christ enters there and immediately he is bombarded by all these Jews that are seeking answers. He had been in the midst of his teaching. He's claiming that he is the son of God, but also God himself. And so people are accusing him of not being who he really says that he is. And so we find ourselves here in verse 24, John chapter 10, and uh, they ask him a question. He says, how long will you keep us in doubt? Are you the Christ or not? They accuse him of being a demon. They accuse him of being a devil. And Jesus proceeds to tell them the reason why they did not believe he was a Christ. And his explanation to them was this. 
They were not part of his sheep. In other words, they were not true followers of him, so they could not comprehend who he truly was. They didn't believe it. They didn't accept it. But that wasn't what angered the Jews. That wasn't what made the Jews pick up stones and want to kill Jesus. It was the response that we find in verse 30 that angered the Jews. If you could all stand with me out of respect of God's word, we're going to read John chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, down to verse 33 to get the whole context of what's going on here. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I love that verse. That verse speaks to the security of the believer. Verse 29, my father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. And here it is in verse 30 that really angered the Jews. He says, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. There was no denial of what Jesus said, just anger. Then he goes on in verse 32, Jesus answered them and said, Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we stone thee not. You didn't do anything as far as works go for us to want to stone you. It was for blasphemy. And because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Jesus claims to be God. Although the words I am God never directly come out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. We can, we can see here all throughout scripture that he makes these claims that, that lead the Jews to understand that he was claiming to be God. It is absolutely imperative for a person to accept and believe that Jesus is God in order to, be, to receive Christ. Without this person believing that Jesus is God, then they're just believing that Jesus is simply an angel or a good man. So our goal here this morning is to answer the question of Jesus' deity so that we can know for ourselves whether or not Jesus Christ is actually God. How can I be sure that Jesus is God? Thank you. you may be seated. Thank you for standing out of respect of God's word. It would be impossible, or at least extremely difficult, to understand who God truly was, or the character of God, unless he took the initiative to reveal himself in creation. Christianity is the only belief system that claims that their God came to earth to personally show his followers how to live. It's the only one. There has to be something that is Jesus' character, right? History itself speaks to the existence of Jesus. The very, the very calendar itself speaks to the existence of Jesus. Here's a crazy thing to think about. Even the strongest atheists that never believed that Jesus Christ ever existed dates their checks with a year that indicates the birth of the Savior. If you think about it, you've got A.D., Anno Domini, which means before Christ, and then you've got B.C. So it is currently the year 2019, which means that roughly 2019 years ago, something miraculous took place, and that was the birth of our Savior. That's not just an American thing. The entire world, all these religions date, use the same dating system, A.D. and B.C., the same way that we do, which indicates that there has to be something to this Jesus character. But I understand that this dating system does not answer our question of whether or not Jesus is God. So we're going to look at two foundational pillars this morning. First off, we can be sure that Jesus is God because he claims to be God. 
He claims to be God. As I mentioned earlier, the words, I am God, never directly come out of the mouth of Jesus. But we can understand, based upon the responses of the Jews, that he does indicate to associate himself or be like Jesus. Jesus claims to be God in three different ways. Number one, he claims his preexistence. His preexistence. When Jesus claims preexistence, he does so by making several indirect claims to say that he existed always since the beginning of time. In John chapter 17, verse 5, he says this. This is a prayer to the Father. He says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Bart Ehrman, the professor right down the street here at UNC Chapel Hill, he wrote a book called How Jesus Became God. And he contests this concept of Jesus' preexistence. And this is what he says in the book. He says, if you read their accounts closely, talking about the Gospels, you will see that they have nothing to do with the idea that Christ existed before he was conceived. In these two Gospels, Jesus comes into existence at the moment of his conception. He did not exist before. Others, of course, disagree with the conclusion that he comes to, myself included, because of the Jesus' use of the words, I have come. He uses this all the time. In Gospels alone, in John's Gospel alone, he uses this phrase 39 times. I have come. I have come. What does that mean when he says, I have come? That means that he has transferred from somewhere else to here in this present moment. I have come here on a mission. Which means that he had to exist it before he was born of a virgin. And John chapter 6 verse 38 says, For I came down from heaven, this is Jesus, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus uses the phrase, I have come all throughout the New Testament, which identifies himself as the Savior coming for a specific reason. In Mark chapter 2 verse 17, he says, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is unique among the founders of the world religions in making this claim. Muhammad, Buddha, nor Krishna ever made this claim as coming from heaven. Stephen Wellam, a professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, states, in each of these I am come statements, Jesus understands himself to have preexisted and that his work has a transcendent quality about it, identified with the work of God. So going back to the question, is it possible for a Christian or a person to be a Christian if they do not believe that Jesus is God? Let's not take my words for it. Let's look at what the Bible says. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. To put this in context, we did a study on the book of 1 John, I don't know, about a month ago or so, but the whole purpose of the book or the, the letter of 1 John was written to the church because false prophets had crept within the church. And the most popular teaching during that particular time was Gnosticism. And Gnosticism ripped away the deity of Jesus Christ. And what those false teachers were saying, they never denied the existence of Jesus. They were taking away the humanity of Jesus and saying that Jesus Christ could not have been both God and man at the same time. And John says that if you do not accept Jesus as being both a man and God himself, then it is impossible for you to be a true follower of Christ. That's what John says here. So, so John was trying to write to this group of believers to help them understand what a true Christian believes. So his claim to be God through this preexistence statement, that's one of the ways. The second thing that he claims to be God is that he claims to be Israel's God. This is huge. 
The claim to be Israel's God. Remember, the entire Old Testament is based upon God paving a way for the coming Messiah. The entire nation of Israel lived for the purpose of finding the Messiah. The fact that Jesus claimed to be Israel's Messiah was a bold move. One that would completely upset and rock the entire nation. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus' claim to be Israel's Messiah was never proven false. Flip back one page from John chapter 10 to John chapter 8 verse 58. In John 8 we see a conversation again that occurs between Jesus and the crowd. And in verse 58, Jesus makes a bold statement, and he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. What is Jesus saying there? There's two things that he's doing. First off, he's claiming preexistence. He's saying that before Abraham ever lived, which we know was several thousand years before Jesus was born, He's claiming to have been alive before Abraham. Then he calls himself something. He calls himself I am. I am. Now, to us English-speaking people that don't know Hebrew, it sounds like Jesus is just using bad grammar. Outside the context of the Jews, they knew exactly what, the Jews knew exactly what he meant. The name I am is a name for God that Jesus is applying himself to himself. That's a big deal. If you were to look back at the story of Exodus, right, um, uh, Jesus is, or God's commissioning Moses, and he's saying, I want you to lead my children Israel to the promised land out of captivity. And so he appears before Moses in the burning bush. And so he starts having a conversation with Moses, and he's, he's laying out his vision and his calling for Moses, and Moses immediately, as soon as he hears it, says, God, God I'm your man, let's do this, right? No. He starts making excuse after excuse after excuse. And one of the excuses that he makes is, God, what do I tell the people when they ask me who this God was that talked to me? How do I refer to you? What do I say to them? And as a response, God says this in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So when Jesus responds to uh, the, the crowd in John chapter 8, verse 58, by referring to himself as I am, he is stating that he is the God of the nation of Israel. So in essence, what he's telling the people is that I am the God who appeared to Moses at the burning bush, who met him on the mountain, whose presence filled the temple. I am the God who called Abraham and entered into the covenant with him. But we have some backlash on this claim. Some scholars say that this interpretation is reading too much into the Jesus' claim. Some scholars question whether or not the listeners would actually have come to this conclusion that Jesus was referring to himself as God. We don't have to look anywhere else other than the response of the Jews once Jesus Christ made this statement. Look down in John chapter 8, verse 59. Jesus says that before Abraham was, I am. In John chapter 8, verse 59, after he says this, it says, Then the, Juk, uh, the Jews took up stones to cast at him. Once again, they never denied the fact that Jesus was actually God. They understood what he was saying. He was claiming to be the almighty, all-powerful God in whom they worshipped. Jesus claimed to be God by claiming preexistence, but stating that he was Israel's one true God. And then number three, he claimed to be equal with God. Going back to our passage here in John chapter 10, verse 30, John tells the Jews, I and my Father are one. Going back to our point earlier, Jesus' audience demonstrates a full understanding of who he is claiming to be. There's no doubt in their minds 
that Jesus' claim to be one with the Father was an assertion of deity. New Testament scholar Leon Morris writes, the Jews could regard Jesus' words as only blasphemy, and they proceeded to take the judgment into their own hands. It was laid out in the law, specifically in Leviticus, that blasphemy was to be punished by stoning. The Jews' response to Jesus' claim to be equal with God is found in verses 31 through 33. They took up stones to stone him. Jesus says, for what good work are you stoning me? They say, not for a good work, but because you are blasphemous, because you refer to yourself as God. Whenever Jesus Christ claims to be God, he has an opportunity to recant his statement, to apologize, to take it back. But nowhere in Scripture do we ever see Jesus Christ recanting his claim to be God. Even when he was standing before trial, about to face one of the severest forms of torture and persecution, the cross, he never recanted his claim to be God. Just to be clear here in this phrase, when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, he is not saying that him and the Father are, are the same person. He's saying that they are one in essence and nature. If he was to say, me and the Father are the same person, that would, that would go back against or that would uh, deny the doctrine of the, of the Trinity. What he's saying here is that I am God. Now, if we think about the Trinity this way, you've got three parts You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the whole God the, the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. All the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not God or the Father. All three of those, though, point to being God, the Godhead. And so what Jesus was claiming was to be the God. In addition to his claims, much of Jesus' teachings alluded to the fact that he is God. Jesus teaches the people to pray to him. In John chapter 14, verses one, or 13 to 14, it says, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus Christ accepts worship. The Bible makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, that worship is only reserved for the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. But we see here when Thomas sees Jesus and understands that it is Jesus in his resurrected body, he falls down in John chapter 20, verse 28, and responds, my Lord and my God, and Jesus Christ accepts this response. So how can we be sure that Jesus is God? Well, first off, he claims to be God. And people can respond back and say, well, that's easy to claim to be someone. But if I'm meeting you and you tell me your name, hi, my name is Tom. I am the Tom Jones, whatever. I'm going to accept that as being truth. You are identifying yourself and who you are. There's no reason for me to go against that. I am the Brandon Joyner. There's other Brandon Joyners, but the person you're talking to, I am Brandon Joyner. So when Jesus Christ says, I am Jesus, the Son of God, and God, he claims to be God, the only way that we would no longer believe that is if his actions prove to him or prove to us for him to be crazy, which leads us to our second point. Jesus' actions supported his claim. There's a lady by the name of Cassie Chadwick. She was a famous female con artist that lived several years ago. She was known for ripping off the banks and all these bogus loans. And so what she did in order to rip off the banks is she claimed to be the illegitimate daughter of Andrew Carnegie, which we all know to be a major steel tycoon. And so he had all this money. And so these banks, I don't know what their thinking process was, but in hearing that uh, she claimed to be the illegitimate daughter of 
uh, Andrew Carnegie, and she was saying that Andrew Carnegie was paying her all this crazy money to keep her silent. The banks just loaned her money. One bank went out of business because it loaned her $250,000. Well, several years ago, that's a massive amount of money. The bank went out of business because who she pretended to be was not who she actually was. And so people were saying, well, Jesus Christ, he could have claimed to be God all day long, but his actions would have disproved otherwise, but they never do. There are four actions that we see here in the Bible that support the claim that Jesus was God. First off, you have the incarnation. The incarnation, it means into meat or in the flesh. The, in, the word incarnation is, is describing the process of God becoming man in the flesh through Jesus Christ. That was the incarnation process. When God came to the earth in the form of a man, this very act fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies and symbols that pointed to the coming of the Savior. For example, Mark Clark in his book, The Problem of God, gives two symbols in the Old Testament that point to the coming of the Savior and how the incarnation of God fulfilled those symbols. First off, you have the temple. The temple was where God resided. It was a place where people's sins were forgiven. It was a place where you could get healing. Jesus' claims to be the fulfillment of both purpose all throughout the earthly ministry. This is why we no longer have the need for the Old Testament view of the temple. As I mentioned earlier, we are the church. I mentioned in our Sunday school class. We, there's no longer a need for us to go to the temple in order for us to confess our sins to the high priest because Jesus Christ coming to earth, God coming to earth through Jesus Christ fulfilled that which is only made possible through the incarnation. And the second thing we see here that alluded to the coming of the Messiah was the Torah. The Torah is just another a name for the Old Testament law. Jewish scholar Jacob Nasser points out the way that Jesus upstages the Torah, specifically on the Sermon on the Mount, by demonstrating his authority over the Old Testament law. Jesus does not set the Old Testament law aside in his teachings. He is simply stating that he is the fulfillment of the law, something that only God could do. Both the fulfillment of the law and the purpose of the temple could not have been fulfilled unless God came to earth as the Savior in human flesh. There's a second claim, and the second action that supports the claim of Jesus, and that was the fact that he had a sinless life. We observed the example of the con artist earlier. There are many that have claimed to be something they are not, but the validity of their claim is always proven by their character. I would always claim to the teenagers that uh, I had a scholarship to play basketball uh, at the University of North Carolina, and some of you are laughing right now, and I don't know why. Just look at me, and you can tell that what I'm claiming to be as far as a great basketball player is not true, and that's not true. My actions, as they all saw at teen activities, proved that I was lying to them or joking with them as far as my actions on the basketball court. If we think about it this way, there's a lot of people that, that claim that Jesus Christ was full of sin, but nobody could ever prove that he actually had sin in his life. Nobody ever argued with the fact that he said that he was a sinless person. Here, here's the interesting thing. They tried. They didn't believe that he was a good person. I mean, they tried to disclaim it. But if you were to look at all the claims that they had in regarding Jesus and how he wasn't who he said he was going to be or who he was as far as sin in his life, all those things that they accused Jesus of supported his claim to be God. So, for example, they said that he broke the Sabbath by doing work. He was healing people on the Sabbath day, what God can do. 
He was a friend. They claimed him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners, which speaks to the grace of who Jesus Christ is. There's no boundaries with Jesus. He says everyone loves everyone. He deceived and he misled people. He was simply showing the fulfillment of the law. Then he goes on to say they claimed that he was to be the king of the Jews in rebellion to Caesar. He committed blasphemy by forgiving sins. He committed blasphemy by claiming to be the son of God or equal with God. Those were the only things that they had on Jesus that they were trying to claim against him. But every single one of those things further supported the fact that he was truly God. We read of the temptations of Jesus, but we never read of him giving in to those temptations. We read of how Jesus tells people that you must forgive others, but we never see a moment in which Jesus Christ is is asking for forgiveness. Because Jesus Christ never did anything. A famous historian Kenneth Scott says this, It is highly significant that in one as sensitive morally as was Jesus, who taught his followers to ask for forgiveness of their sins, there was no hint of any need of forgiveness for himself, no asking of pardon, either from those about him or of God. The closer that men and women draw to God, the more overwhelmed they are of their own failure, corruption, and shortcoming. All of the followers of Jesus that knew him from an intimate standpoint spoke to his sinlessness. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, describes Jesus as a person who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Even those that were not followers of Jesus could not find any fault in him. Pilate. As, Pilate's on, as Jesus is standing before uh, Pilate on trial, Pilate says to the people, I find no fault in him at all. The fact that Jesus never sinned and his sinless characters were not, uh, uh, characteristics was not only noticed by those closest to him, but even acknowledged by his enemies speaks to the validity of his sinless nature, which leads us into our third point, his third action here, and that was the miracles of Jesus that further support the fact that he was God. We understand that Christ demonstrated power over all natural forces that only belong to God. He was the author of those forces. Going back to what I mentioned earlier in, in uh, John chapter 18, when he, when he talks to the people and he's claiming to be God, what is significant about all of this is that Jesus' enemies never denied that Jesus performed the miracles that he did. They just tried to kill him. But here's the interesting part. We see in John chapter 18, verses 43 through 48, miracles are occurring. People are following Christ. They're starting to believe in who he was, and that did not sit well with the Jewish leaders. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did. They believed on him. But some... Of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then they gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in council and said, I love this, what do we do? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. They never denied the fact that he did miracles. They were afraid that people would see more miracles of Jesus and they were afraid that they would believe on him as being the true Messiah and God. The final point here is really the most important point when it comes to proving the fact that Jesus is God was the resurrection. 
this is such a big topic that in a couple of weeks we're actually going to devote an entire message on this topic of resurrection. But this is the supreme credential to authenticate his claim of deity. Five times in the course of his life, Jesus predicted that he would die, but he always followed up with hope. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. It is the resurrection of Christ that not only supports his claim as deity, it is the foundational hope for all Christians. We don't just serve an imaginary God. We serve a God who revealed himself to us through human forms of Jesus. He died for us and he rose again so that we could have hope. John Schaff states this. He says, this Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on matters and human divine than all philosophies and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. So we conclude this morning with a claim that Jesus made about his deity and, he, and, and through the acts that he proved his deity through miracles, through the resurrection, and through the worship of, the receiving of worship from others. So it leaves us with three different options when it comes to this character of Jesus. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he's Lord. But here's the thing, if he was a liar and his whole life was based upon a lie, there's very few people out there that do not recognize Jesus as being a good moral teacher. As I read to you earlier, a lot of people have different thoughts about Jesus, but very few people ever disagree with the fact that he was a good moral teacher. It is very hard to be a good moral teacher if your whole life is based upon a lie. Let's say he was a lunatic. He was crazy. He thought that he was God. He truly he wasn't lying because he legitimately thought that he was God. If you were to look at the history all throughout his life, there is never a time where we see here that his actions prove that he was truly crazy. He stood in a most calm disposition when he stood before those that were accusing him. As he was facing trial, C.S. Lewis writes this. He says, The discrepancy between the depth and the sanity of his moral teaching and a diagnosis of rampant megalomania are patently incompatible. So if the evidence and character of Jesus don't support the accusation that he was a liar or a lunatic, then we are left with only one choice. He is indeed who he says he was, and that is Lord of all. Now I want to conclude with this verse here. Jesus Christ is approached by his disciples and he asks them a question. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. So church, this morning, whom do you say 
that Jesus is.